Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's deeper dive is in how to be successful with realtors. I have the perfect expert, Michael Bordinsky. Michael is vice president and branch manager of Caliber Mortgage Company. Michael has been a top producer for over 20 years. I met him back in 1999. He has been number one at a variety of different companies. Michael's been a recognized with the five-star mortgage professional. He's one of the best bar none in our business and has certainly generated over $5 billion in loans over the years. Hi, Michael. Thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here. And I figured you'd wait, you know, every 20 years we'll do this. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not the case, but I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly excited to have you. And I want you to tell and share, and I know you've shared this before, but how did you get into mortgage banking? Well, you know, I, I would almost say by accident or by, by sheer luck, because I, I entered the business right out of college. And, and it wasn't because I knew that I was going to be a mortgage banker for, as a career. It was just a time, now we're talking almost 40 years ago. So this was going in 1983 when I actually started. And it was a time when we, as economically, were coming out of a very deep recession and ironically, a very bad inflationary environment. Interest rates were high. Things were more expensive. And the difference then is that jobs were less scarce, Pat. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a business major leaving school to find the kind of job, you know, that became more glamorous, you know, let's say on Wall Street or something like that. So I decided to, you know, do something that related to what I what I actually learned in school. I had taken a real estate finance course my senior year of college as a business major. It got me interested. And then I started applying and I wound up uh, working at a local savings and loan, not knowing the kind of job that they were going to offer me, which was a more which which really was a mortgage loan officer. And it just took off from there. I had no idea that there was an opportunity to not only make you know good good earnings, but really affect people's lives in terms of how you help them obtain home ownership. Well, that's certainly a very similar story to many people, I think, in mortgage bank, and we kind of fall into it. But how long, Michael, did it take before you just moved into having your own team? And you've been doing this now for all these years. How long was that time span? Well, I'll make it as brief as possible, but as comprehensive as possible. So the first thing I did in getting into the industry is to try to learn. There, in, in those days, there was no training program. So they really threw you to the wolves in those days because the mortgage banking industry was was really in its infancy because there were mortgage bankers that specialized in FHA loans. But as the conventional products became more uh, prevalent in the early to mid 1980s, including the introduction of of, uh, adjustable rate products as an offset to higher interest rates, you sort of had to know now it wasn't just a standard loan you were offering to everybody. There were there was product diversity. And in order to do that, you sort of had to know what you were doing. But because there was no training, I took to finding and partnering with producers at my bank that knew what they were doing. 
So I kind of shadowed them. I took it upon myself to actually listen and learn from people who were, were already successful. And some of them, you know, were too busy to give me the time and others were more gracious and helped me learn. And that's what got me to understand more about the business and allowed me to take what they knew, combine it with what I learned at school, believe it or not, which was something, and combine it into getting successful. So it really didn't take me long because I was young and I had nothing to lose. I worked my butt off and I was working 12 hour days for the, the next couple of years. And within three years of me entering the business, I became a top producer at my company. And so when did you start putting? So like I started a- in 1983 mm-hmm. and, and by ni- the end of 1986, I had, I had been named uh at City Federal Savings at the time, I was named their top producer. So when did you actually added other, put your own team together? Okay, what so your career did this, that this is a great question. And what I what I realized during the period it took me to, to, you know, reach success, the bigger problem isn't so much getting getting to the top, it's sustaining that. And the, the, the challenge to sustaining that is that I started realizing, especially when you develop relationships, and I and I developed relationships early on with uh, realtors and builders, and I looked to find, and I was very specific with what I was looking for. I wanted to find builders who were active and putting new product to the market that they were building, and I looked to, to develop relationships with realtors who were top producer realtors, realtors who were actually out there working with buyers because you can, you could develop relationships with either, but if they're not, you know, if they're not active, then you're not going to be active. The problem that I ran into within, you know, let's say between 1986 and 1996 is that I realized I couldn't do, I couldn't be in two places at once, Pat. That's what became a problem. And what my relationship partners always expected of me was to be available, be accountable. And, and almost, and in those days more than ever, and this is before the advent of of technology was to be physically present Mm -hmm. and I couldn't be. So what I realized is that there were times when I would be servicing one job site or at a realtor office and I wasn't at somewhere else. And guess what? There was another lender coming in and gobbling up my business. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that there was a cost to developing these strong relationships. But if the relationship partners demanded that I be at the same place at the same time, it was physically impossible. That's when I came up with a team approach. So that was probably in the mid-90s when I started mm-hmm. adding team members to my staff. And so really, I became a quasi-manager in that I would add, you know, I, I started adding folks that were hungry, just like me, that needed an opportunity, that wanted to uh, to work, and to wanted to work, uh, you know, for somebody that was already successful. So it wasn't really hard to add staff. It was hard sometimes to find good people. But what it did was allow me to do just what I was saying, is that is, I could actually expand my business. So Yes, I would make a little less money on a per deal basis because I was actually sharing in the compensation or commission with the team member. 
but it allowed me to not only sustain, but it allowed me to grow my business by adding the staff because now I had people at different real, real estate offices and at different job sites all at the same time on a given day or a given weekend and all that. And then all I had to do was basically monitor and check in with each and every one of them. How's it going? Everything needed. Any questions that, you know, that need to be asked, I could answer them. And it became seriously like a almost like a mini company running around. And I, I formed almost like my my like a mini nation of, of, of sure. a Bordinsky production of of a team that was really, really geared to providing top service to, you know, to the to the customer. So, Michael, how many people are part of your team now? I know you did 400 million last year. Talk about that. So that the team has, you know, has grown, obviously, over the years. And um, I have I have 10, 10 team members under me now. That includes actual producers and includes a sales manager and in, who's one of my partners. And it oh. includes and includes some production assistants that uh, that do more uh, of mark, my marketing support and CRM and sure. all that. So. It's it's a you know, like I said it's a well it's a well run team and I'm very proud of every one of them and what's very interesting Pat is that most of my team members have been with me anywhere from ten to twenty five years. Wow, that's great. So talk about Michael your sales pitch. You mentioned top realtors and obviously top builders and getting into them isn't easy. So what's the sequence look like for you? Visibility. Mm-hmm. It's always it's been it's 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 visibility and consistency. Now the visibility comes from a combination of word of mouth, cold calling, and networking. Now the hardest part, of course, is cold calling, but the networking, while it sounds hard, can be very easy. How do you network with realtors or how do you network with builders? Mm-hmm. Well, the easy thing to do, join a, join the Board of Realtors Association in your local market. Join the local builders, home builders association in your local market. I've been uh, members of both. I What's interesting on the home builder side, I really have a niche in home build in, on the home builder side. And I've, I've sustained that since the outset of, of, of my uh, career. And I've actually given my time back not only in financially, but in in in, in, uh, in in actual commitment to time and organization in that I became not only just an active member, but an uh, executive officer. And in, in uh, one year on a local level, I became president of my local home builders association. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, I became the associate uh uh, vice president on the on the state home builders association so i really put my time in and you know obviously it's <laughs> there's a dual benefit because you're giving back your time because you know home builders associations advocate for home ownership and shelter affordable housing and things like that so you're really doing something that to promote you know home ownership and promote your industry but what's self-serving about that, obviously, it's connecting you and it's net, it's creating a network of opportunity 
with other home builders who are also active in the association who see a legitimate commitment by me to to help them, you know, help themselves. And so, Michael, when you look at that, you've been in both good markets and bad markets. When you consider all the years you've been in the business, what do you what changes did you make? In other words, now we're going into a different market you've seen before. So have you made selling changes? Okay, so the the first thing that we have to understand is that there's you know there's we we've been in a very very low interest rate environment for a very very long time, especially the last five years, and you know people get complacent about it because the low rate environment, especially let's let's even look at the last two years, we saw interest rates fall to levels never seen before. That's how low they were. In some cases, we were closing loans below two percent on for 15-year fixed, in the low to mid twos for 30-year fixed. Unbelievable. What that created was an enormous amount of opportunity to, to close a lot of business for people seeking to refinance their homes. And what, what sometimes, probably the biggest mistake my competitors make is they get so focused on what's in front of them, and that is to take the business focus on the refinancing and then lose your focus on the relationships that you have with your referral partners, you come, you, you know, what happens, you go to the back of the line. And what I have never done is taken my eye off the ball of maintaining and focusing on purchase oriented business. That's the difference because when the market changed and it has, especially over the last six months as we as interest rates moved higher and higher to levels that now we've seen rates run up to levels that we haven't seen in decades um there's a there's no refinance business out there so those competitors of mine that were focused strictly on refinancing are having a difficult time finding new business that they were not focused on during the past two years because I haven't lost focus on that, I've been able to sustain good, you know, good origination volume because my my relationships are still there. They haven't lost. You know, I haven't lost touch with them. I've stayed in contact. We're, I'm still doing the same thing that I was doing when the business was different, when it was more brisk and when there was a lot more refinancing coming in. But my relationships are solid and therefore I'm in a better position to assist and capture business than than my competitors because of that. Well, you had a, a real estate agent at Coldwell Banker that I just read recently who say you are the best bar none. And so how many realtors do you talk to in a day? Well, it depends. You know, my day, my day, you know, I try to time block, Pat, and time mm -hmm. blocking involves, you know, out making, spending by probably about two hours a day out, out with making outbound calls. Outbound calls are, and, and those calls can be in the form of actual phone calls or touches. Touches could be a text message or it could be an email, but a means to stay in touch with folks. And that's, and it's personal, not, not a, like a, an email blast or something or a newsletter that I send out, but that's separate and apart from what I do that gives my referral partners information uh, and direction about what's going on in the marketplace. This is specific to how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And what can I do? What can I do to assist you? And 
So I try to target two to three, maybe four referral partners a day just to check in with them and see what's going on. For example, tomorrow I'm doing a, uh, I'm sponsoring a broker open house uh, with a referral partner. Thursday, I'm having lunch with a different referral partner, just things like that. And you try to plan your week that way so that again, and the business is changing because you got to remember some partners are more busy than others. And, you know, you just have to focus on, on targeting and, and staying in touch with, you know, the most productive agents that are out there. And keep in mind that, you know, it, it, it's, it's not about the volume or quantity of relationships. It's about the quality of those relationships. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. So, but if you had to say as an estimate, how many realtors and builders are in your CRM that you are, that are hearing from you? Oh, uh, probably, uh, probably about 25 to 30 realtors and probably an equal, if, if not more, number of builders that I'm, that I'm in touch with regularly. And, and, and there's, you know, again, there's a constant stream of, of activity and, and, and business that comes in from them. And, you know, sometimes builders, uh, I've had builders that have made, you know, some of my builders have made decisions to not, no longer build uh, for sale housing. And, and, you know, you have to make up for that because they focus now on, on rental housing. That's a big part of our market right now in, in uh, New Jersey is you know, the rental market. And so, Michael, when you look at technology, you mentioned your CRM. Uh, talk about what technology that you've actually found helpful for your selling. So technology has been, from a lender standpoint, technology has been more of a blessing than a curse, but you have to use technology wisely because the hardest part about technology is that it can, it can allow you to communicate with somebody without actually speaking to them. So mm-hmm. I've had, you know, we could do a loan for somebody almost in the same way that you apply for a mortgage with Rocket you know, like quick, the Quicken technology mm-hmm. where you can actually go to my website, link to my application portal, uh, apply online, and I can answer every question that a borrower has completely through email, provide them a loan estimate through email, and see them all the way to approval and to closing without ever speaking to them. That, you know, I don't I don't prefer that and it can work and it can make you more productive but you have to be sort of proactive and intuitive to know what an individual borrower or customer needs because some customers would prefer some type of better communication or I should say different communication or more let's call it more traditional communication so some customers you want they want to see you or they want to have a conversation with you. So you know you have to you have to like I said be intuitive to to what they're you know what they're looking for. As far as technology, what I mentioned to you, you know the the technology of allowing loans to be done electronically makes things go more efficiently. There's less paperwork. Loans could be consummated quicker. And we can do a lot more volume than we can because we were so we were so paper dependent mm-hmm. uh, for the past, you know, 30, 35 years that, you know, it was probably one of the biggest headaches 
and obstacles for for people, you know, or fears of of people saying, I I, I just don't want to give all this paperwork anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it we can get, you know, we can get electronically. Yeah, everything from bank statements to to you know pay stubs, W twos. We could validate we can validate employment with income without even collecting W twos or pay stubs anymore. So. Right. There's so much benefit to, to the use of technology in terms of the loan process. Now, on top of that, where and I know we, where you were going with your question, the other part of the technology aspect is the use of, you know, whether it be a CRM, maintaining customer contact, or delivering information out to your network of people. So technology allows me to do everything from, you know, the old mail merge where I can send out a mass, uh, a blast email to somebody or a blast text message or a newsletter and things like that. And what technology has been helpful to do is to be visible and or to stay in touch. And if you use technology appropriately and actively and and you've got to use the right uh, type of, you know, means to do it. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got to send out a message that people want to read about. Okay. People don't always need to hear, you know, what time you went to the market or what you bought at the grocery store or what movie you like. It's nice, but they want to know what information they you can provide them that's going to help them. That's what gets, you know, more effective. So you got to think about what you want to do and, and you know, what you want to communicate to your folks. And so when you look at realtors in particular, do you still interact with, let's say, new realtors or is it strictly on the top realtor side? We do both. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, there's no exclusivity. You know, there's a lot of realtors, will, um, new realtors have come to me for advice. Um, they come to me for information mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm always one one of the things I enjoy is communication with with people and, and that's the one thing that that's lasted for the 39 years mm-hmm. that I've been doing this. I love the interaction with with people of all kinds. I love the interaction interaction with with new buyers. I love the interaction with especially first-time buyers because you know when you when when I was a first-time buyer there's nothing I remember the first time I closed on my home. There was nothing more gratifying than, you know, than to, to, to take the keys and know that you're a homeowner. And, and you can see how that changes somebody and how, a, what a difference you make on that. So, you know, when it comes to new relationships, you know, I love them. You know, I, I love working with new realtors. If there's an opportunity to work with new realtors or help them, I do that. When I'm asked, I will talk, uh, I will speak at seminars mm-hmm. or to a, an office meeting uh, full of realtors and give them my insight and give them my suggestions. And, you know, again, it, it's it's so uh, it's fun to communicate, you know, your knowledge. It's fun to communicate my experience. It's fun to communicate something that I can give back. Uh, that's going to help somebody else be successful. And so are you using things like FaceTime or Zoom or are are you doing those types of technologies also when you're selling? Okay. I am. So yeah, I do I do meetings with through you know Zoom and Microsoft Teams, which is another version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I've what's interesting is that I've been able to set up, you know, if it's funny is that you know technology has allowed me to to work from different places. I don't have to be 
at my office in Edison, New Jersey. Like right now, I'm I'm speaking to you from obviously a different location. I'm in my home office. I'm not in my regular office. And a week ago, I was working out of an, my uh, I have a, a residence down in Florida. And a week ago, I was doing uh, Zoom meetings with uh, some of my partners when I was down in Florida. It really doesn't matter. The Zoom thing can put you the Zoom concept or the Microsoft Teams concept can put you together in an office setting without there actually being you have to physically be somewhere. So uh, that's been a godsend, especially when you think about it during the pandemic. The use of technology was the only means we had to rely on because otherwise there would have been no business being conducted at all. So thank thank goodness that we had the ability to to still leverage technology during that time. Otherwise, it would have been a much scarier time than it, than it actually was. So, Michael, when you look at the realtor and being in the office, I, I obviously because of the pandemic, they weren't really in the office, but there is certainly more of a move where they're just not traditionally there. Is that your experience? And that's why you're using the newer technologies from a social selling standpoint? You're going to, you're going to see that the, 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 some of the impact of the pandemic is semi-permanent. Yes. Realtors are, are more comfortable going back into the office because they're not as, you know, now that, you know, there's, there's the vaccine and then there's, there's, you know, you know, means of better treatments and all that for, for COVID COVID has become less scary. I'm not saying it's not out there. And quite frankly, people still can be, you know, easily infected, but it's a lot, not as, you know, not as scary as it was in terms of you fearing that you're going to have to go to the hospital. That being said, even though, Agents and builders and all that are less fearful of going to an office. Their preference, when given, is to stay outside the office. So I'm you're seeing still seeing unless there's a an actual physical office meeting that's called by the broker, there's less and less actual activity in a given office than there ever has been. And that means that there you have to rely on technology, Pat, right. to to communicate with them because it's not like you're going to show up at their house. That's not appropriate. So what you're going to do is you're going to get on a Zoom meeting or a Microsoft Teams meeting and connect with them that way or get on a phone call with them and check in and see what we can do. And, and that's exactly you know how it's going to work. And I think some of the transformation of this business with regards to the, not only the leverage of use of technology, but you know, just less physical presence in a particular office, I think is semi-permanent. Just less people want to go back to work. You're seeing a lot of hybrid situations, you know, in, in, the, uh, in, right. in, the, in the space out there where people will go to the office, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but they're actually going to work out of their house Mondays and Fridays for obvious reasons, but also because they can still be as productive as they are. Most right. of my staff is still working mostly remote, remote. I don't make them come into the office purely voluntary. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned by, you know, we were forced to learn it this way in a very quick amount of time back in uh, March of, of 2020, when the pandemic, uh, you know, started, was we had to function uh, remotely. We had no right. choice. And we were able to do it really, really well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be the way the business is being done. I know lenders 
A lot of them are hesitant about that, but it is certainly, I think, the real reality because the realtors themselves are remote is what it boils down to. But really, exactly. good point. yeah, good point that you're making. So how do you stay current in the world of mortgage banking? And you've done this for such a long time. And also, from the standpoint of uh, advice to a new originator, what would that look like for you? Okay, so let's talk about staying current. I'm going to touch on a couple of things. One of the things, obviously, is to stay in touch with your existing contacts. And that's your, you know, I have over 10,000 contacts in my CRM. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that in itself is a, let's call it a book of business. Mm -hmm. These are relationships. And, you know, I pride myself on these relationships of being, you know, not people that I've just given loans to. I pride myself on the fact they were satisfied with what, you know, with what I provided them in terms of service. And that's that in itself is a really form of repeat business because staying in touch with them is going to encourage them not only not only to come back to me when they need me in the future, but more importantly, to refer their friends, their family, their their business colleagues to me uh, because they want to share the experience that they had with somebody. And, right. and if they want to share it with somebody and that somebody is in the market for for home financing. The type of referrals that I get from some my existing clients are, you know, it, it's sometimes it's hard to live up to because they, you know, they speak so well and then they, they you know, they, they're so glowing of, of the experience that they have. And, and that's what they want to expect from, you know, their experience with me. And obviously that's my job to deliver it. So <laughs> the, the way to stay current in our industry is to read, to watch and to disseminate. And, stay, and what I mean by that is every morning before I get started with my day, I'll spend some time on either Bloomberg or CNBC, you know, one of the business channels to see what the market's doing. And then I'll start reading portions of either the Wall Street Journal or specific alerts that I get from subscriptions that I subscribe to specific to what's going on in the market. You know, uh, every morning I get an alert about what's what the um, the interest rate market is doing, what the economic environment, what economic headlines that just came out, and how it's going to affect what the day-to-day interest rate uh, environment is going to be. Because keep in mind, rates don't change every month. They don't change when the Federal Reserve decides to move the short-term rates. Mortgage rates change daily. And you've got to be able to provide some direction to your customers about that movement, whether it be up or down. So staying current involves being current in terms of information and being able to disseminate that information to to your referral contacts, to your your referral partners, to your customers, et cetera. That morphs into social media, okay? Because not only am I disseminating information directly, it could be a newsletter, it could be alerts and things like that that I send out or text messages, Social media has allowed me to also stay visible and current because, you know, you want to develop a, a, a large pool of connections. Forget about the word, you know, so, uh, Facebook friends or whatever like that. You're really connected to people. And that's why, you know, LinkedIn has it coded better, uh, you know, to your contacts as connections. So, you, you know, the, I have a very large pool and I'm talking thousands of people uh, between LinkedIn and, and, and Facebook and Instagram where people will either 
uh, follow my page or, you know, we have we have direct connections on on each other's Facebook uh -huh. page or through LinkedIn. OK, so I am posting regularly and the posts, again, for the most part, are specific, especially on my Facebook business page and obviously in LinkedIn, specific to what's happening in the marketplace. That's how you stay current. And, and social media has allowed me to leverage not only the means by which I disseminate information, but it mean, it's a means to stay not only current, but transparent and to stay, what's the better word, visible. Sure. Visibility, visibility is everything today. So you'll find me on social media. A lot of people find me on social media and it's not only it's not only sustained existing relationships, it's created new ones because people have found me and said, hey, you know, I see what you've done. Can can you do this for me? Bottom line. So, you know, if you leverage social media the right way, it can really be an enhancement to your business. And again, it's another tool as part of how our business has evolved. Social media is actually an integral part of it. Well, I can't agree with you more. And I guess that's probably why you and I have lasted so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're outlasting them all, Michael. Well, exactly. And, and you know, um, and, you know, I, I, like I said, I follow you, Pat, and mm -hmm. I, I follow you on social media. I follow your podcasts. And I obviously it, it's certainly beneficial to me because everybody has best practices. Sure. Okay. And, you know, you can consider me successful or a top producer or call me whatever you wish, but I'm not beyond learning better practices or best practices or asking about best practices because you, you, you can't stay stagnant. You can't stand still. You've got to constantly be moving and seeing what other folks are doing. And, and like I said, you know, I've had to keep up with technology, you know, my, my three sons know a lot more about technology than I do. But and sometimes I ask them, you know, for assistance, you've got to stay current and, and technology, social media is all part of that. And then the other thing is, and I think you had asked me earlier about what would it take for a rookie, a, a, somebody sure. entering the business? How could they be successful? Well, it's hard today. How do you stand out today? You know, when I first entered the business, there were different challenges. There were challenges of you know, we didn't have the, the, the ability to, to connect so easily through social media, through technology. You know, we really literally had to show up somewhere or make a phone call or whatever. You know, there wasn't a post about a new open house or whatever. Every, a lot of it was word of mouth or stuff going through the mail and things like that. So it was harder, but there was a lot less competition back then. It was a different market. So Maybe I had a little bit of an advantage starting at the time I did when we were coming out of a, of a recession when, you know, our business was still evolving. Today, it's a fully evolved business. There's multiple platforms. There's different ways to, to obtain a mortgage. You know, a lot of times the hardest thing for me is that once the client has gotten to me through, you know, whether it's a traditional means, word of mouth, or even through technology, they may have shopped somewhere else before they even got to me. They may have gone online and then Quicken or Rocket Mortgage popped up but ahead of me. And I've got to differentiate myself. And I've got to show not only am I competitive, but I can deliver superior service. So for a rookie, 
a rookie loan officer, what I would do, I would work for a top producing loan officer and work under them as a team loan officer because they're going to get the best of both. They're going to get tutored, nurtured, and educated while they're making money, while they're developing their business. And that way they can leverage sort of a guarantee of, of leads coming from the, you know, the, the, the team leader and be able to understand how to go through the process the right way, how to properly service the customer, how to learn and be intuitive about a customer's needs. And then if they, you know, at that point, they can, they can go out on their own and be their own success story. Well, Michael, you've been fabulous and certainly have shared a lot of great experience that you've learned and the great and re- really great tips uh, to how to be successful long term in this industry. So I want to thank you for sharing with, the, with us today. And I want to thank our listeners uh, for sharing their time. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Pat. It was always, it's, it's a pleasure and it's uh, so great to reconnect again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.